A reading from Acts. Paul and Silas in prison. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned round and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realised that their hopes of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar. Our advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and the one's chain, everyone's chains became loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This is the word of the Lord. Gospel reading is from John, chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. This can be found on page 1085 in our church Bibles. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus prays for all believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am, I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I, am given, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I, am, I in them and you in me so that 
they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the one that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Do please. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come by your spirit, that you would help me to speak, and that you would give us all ears to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. What an extraordinary story. I'm not talking about Leicester's Premier League victory or even the new London mayor's election. No, I'm talking about the account of Paul and Silas that you've just heard read in the book of Acts as they try to tell the good news about Jesus to the people of Philippi. It is extraordinary. It includes exploitation, evil spirits, exorcism, revenge, corruption, graphic violence, false imprisonment, attempted suicide, all packed into less than a chapter of the book of Acts. And it concludes with wonderful conversion. It's amazing. Now let me ask you something before we go into that. Do you think the Christian life is hard sometimes? Because I do. Do you sometimes feel that your faith is being severely tested? Because it certainly seems that way to me on some occasions. Do you sometimes feel that life seems more than a little unfair, that, that sometimes it can almost feel as if we're getting punished for doing, the wrong, for doing all the right things? Why is this happening to me? Why is this going on? Sometimes I feel like that. Do you sometimes think that God has abandoned you in your troubles? Well, if you've answered yes to any of those questions then actually be encouraged. Because if you'd answered no to all of those questions, then in some ways I'd have been a little disappointed. Why is that? Well, I think because people who follow Jesus find themselves to be in a battle. My proposition this morning is that that if we're effective for Christ, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when we proclaim with our own lives, that Jesus is Lord, then we will run into trouble. And in today's reading from Acts, Paul and Silas certainly do exactly that. They come under attack from spiritual forces of evil. They come under attack from people who profit from evil. And they come under attack through religious and political prejudice. The Christian life 
can be very tough. Many people in our world today and other countries come under exactly those kinds of attacks for their faith. But even if we're not Paul the Apostle, as we try to be fruitful on our front lines, that was last week's sermon, um, in other words, as we try to be effective Christians in the world, we will run into obstacles and opposition, and also plenty of just plain indifference. So how do we respond? Are we to fight back? Are we to give in? Are we to take the easy way out? And do we tuck our faith out of sight where it can't cause offence? Well, the good news is that I think this account of Paul and Silas and the trouble they get into and what God brings out of it gives us a fantastic example of some of the ways that we as Christians can respond when our faith is under pressure. So let's turn it to page 1112 in the Bibles, um, if you've got a Bible, or follow it on the service sheet. And just let's take a, a walk through this extraordinary story. Just to set the context, Paul the Apostle and his friend Silas have recently arrived in this town called Philippi. It was then a Roman colony, and in, it's where, in what is now sort of southwest Turkey. But it was an important town on the main east-west trade route. We know that there was no really significant Jewish population there because there was no synagogue. Paul's normal starting point when he arrived in a town to tell people about Jesus was to go to the synagogue and start there, but he doesn't. But he did find a place outside the city gate by the river where some Jews and a few Gentile God-fearers they were known as would gather on the Sabbath to worship God. And it's here that Paul meets and converts Lydia, an important uh, supporter of his mission in Philippi, And it's by this river, this place of prayer, that our Bible reading picks up the story in verse 16, when Paul and Silas are met by a female slave. And we're told that this female slave had a special gift of fortune-telling, which was used by her owners to make them a great deal of money. In other words, this woman was exploited by those who controlled her. Now, this gift of fortune-telling was real, but it was not a God-given gift. Because when she realizes that Paul and Silas have real spiritual power, instead of using her gift for good, she disrupts their meetings wherever she goes, to the point that Paul becomes so annoyed, we're told in verse 18, that he commands the spirit that is controlling her to come out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. And so it does. When confronted by spiritual attack, Paul fights back with spiritual weapons. In his letter to the Ephesian church, Paul says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And to the Corinthians he writes that our spiritual weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. And that's exactly what they do right here. This woman has clearly been under spiritual oppression, but when Paul uses the authority he has been given as a disciple of Jesus, he commands the Spirit to leave her, and it does. Immediately, she loses her power to predict the future, and the good news is that their meetings become a lot more peaceful. The bad news is that the men who own the slave woman are as angry 
as perhaps a drug dealer whose patch is being messed up by some zealous community activists who are exposing their trade. And Paul and Silas are not going to get off lightly. They get rounded up by the owners of the slave girl, dragged in front of the magistrates, falsely accused. In verse 20, they say that Paul and Silas are throwing the city into uproar by their religious teaching, which is a rather large exaggeration. The crowd join in the attack against them, much like the Jerusalem crowd had joined in the attack against Jesus. And in the end, the magistrates order that they be stripped and beaten with rods. And they are severely beaten, we're told, in verse 23. A severe beating would have meant agony, lots of blood, maybe broken ribs, I don't know, but a severe beating. And after that, they were thrown into prison. They were put in the deepest, darkest part of the prison. We're told it was the inner cell, where their feet are shackled in stocks to prevent them moving. And I don't know about you, but I think most of us, if we're honest at this point, would probably have backed off just a little bit from sharing the gospel in strange towns. But next comes the most extraordinary verse in the passage. It's almost unbelievable. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. It's stated so casually, isn't it? What do you mean about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns? I mean, they were battered and bleeding and unfit for anything except accident and emergency. And on top of that, they were shackled in stocks. And here they are, praying and singing hymns. It's so extraordinary. And yet, and yet, it's just the kind of thing that Jesus has inspired countless Christians to do down the ages over the last 2,000 years. It was the Polish priest, Francis Gajenizdek, who more or less started a choir in the starvation bunker at Auschwitz as men died around him one by one. He got them singing and praying as they starved to death. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who resisted Nazism in Germany, who sang and danced in his cell. So powerful was the presence of God in that filthy, dirty, freezing cold dungeon where he was held in the weeks before he was executed by Hitler for his stand against the regime. But he he danced and sang in his cell. And many Christians in the Middle East in the last few years have died refusing to renounce their love of Jesus and their faith in him. And you and I will probably never be put to that kind of extreme situation, although it's not impossible, but we can still react counterculturally in the world we inhabit and the situations we find ourselves in. And you know, it doesn't in any way compare to Paul and Silas, but I was, I was racking my brain thinking of, of some experience of that I've had that that even comes, well, it doesn't even come close. But I remember a time when Kirsty and I set off for our summer holiday on the north, on on the Devon coast, the South Devon coast. And uh, and we got as far as Basingstoke where the car engine blew up. And when I say blew up, it literally blew up. The car was a write-off. It wasn't going anywhere ever again. And it seemed so unfair. I mean, we were so looking forward to our holiday and, and, and then disaster struck. And, but then we realised 
as we stood on the side of the road, we realised we had a choice to make. I mean, we were still so close to home that it seemed sensible to turn around and go back and sort everything out. But the more we thought about it, the more we thought, why should we let our situation rob us of our joy and our holiday? So we called the RAC relay team and we asked them to take us and the broken car to our destination in Devon. And as we waited for them on the side of the road, we started praying and we started singing worship songs. Now, it's not quite as brave as it sounds because no one could hear us as they drove past. But what we prayed was that God would turn this whole situation around and use it for his glory. Anyway, the RAC man, Julie, arrived, stuck the car on the back of the lorry, and we climbed into the cab next to him. Over the next two hours, he poured out his difficult life story. We told him about the Jesus who had changed our lives, and he seemed a whole lot happier when we got out and when he dropped us off. But you know, that was only halfway to Devon, because then another RAC man, they do call it a relay after all, took us the rest of the way. And while we sat in the cab with him, you know what's coming next. He poured out his life story to us as well. So we told him about how Jesus had changed our lives as well. And you know, when we arrived, by the time we arrived at our holiday destination, it had turned into one of the most exciting journeys we'd ever had. It was brilliant. Now, please don't think I am comparing our situation to that of Paul and Silas. We had not been beaten severely with rods, and we weren't locked in a deep, dark dungeon. But I did learn an important lesson that day, that sometimes, perhaps even particularly, when things seem to be going entirely wrong, God gives us the opportunity to react in a way that the world does not normally react. He gives us the opportunity to worship him and praise him and believe that he can use any situation for his glory. That's what Paul and Silas believed that night in prison. And so they prayed and they worshipped. And I love the fact that they had a captive audience. Verse 25 says that the other prisoners were listening to them as if they had a choice. And the God of the universe answered their prayers and sent an earthquake which rocked the prison and flew open the doors and their chains came loose. And now comes the second most amazing part of the story. Think about it. They've been falsely accused, severely beaten, imprisoned for something they didn't do. They pray. God sends an earthquake. All the doors fly open. Don't you think you would have thought to yourself, thank you, Lord, and run out of the prison? That's what I would have done. Can you imagine being Silas? Come on, Paul, let's run for it. God's opened the doors. Paul says, "Mm -mm, I think God's got another plan. Silas says, what do you mean another plan? When God opens doors, we're supposed to walk through them, aren't we? Good point, Silas, I'm on your side. (laughs) Sorry, this is all uh, uh, poetic license. But of course, they don't. And instead of freeing themselves, they see this as yet another opportunity to live out the gospel in the most extraordinary way. The jailer wakes up, he sees that all the prison doors are open, He's about to commit suicide because he'll meet a fate worse than death because it all happened on his watch if all the prisoners are lost. But instead, Paul shouts out, hold on, don't harm yourself. We're still here. We haven't gone anywhere. 
And the jailer is so convicted by the fact that they didn't make a run for it that he falls before them and says, Sirs, what must I do to be healed, to be saved? Now, in this translation, it can sound a bit like he's asking a sort of deep theological question about the means to salvation. But I think, given the circumstances and his fear and his panic, and many scholars think that this verse might be better translated, something along the lines of, Gentlemen, will you please tell me how I can get out of this mess? But of course, he got more than he bargained for. And they tell him to believe in the Lord Jesus, him and his whole household, and then they'll be saved. And once again, I love Paul and Silas's priority. The next thing they do is to speak the word of the Lord, to share the gospel with the jailer and everyone in his house. And only after that do they let him tend to their wounds. They're cut and bleeding and bruised and who knows what. But they share the gospel before they let him turn tend to their wounds. The man who manacled them in the deepest cell now washes their wounds and sets a meal before them. The whole household is baptised. The jailer is filled with the joy of coming to know God through Jesus Christ. And you know, last week I spoke about Jesus raising the widow of Nan's son from the dead and how whenever Jesus comes into a situation... He changes it. He transforms it. And this story is evidence, along with much of the New Testament letters and the book of Acts, that demonstrates that the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the disciples was equally transformational in the situations that they encountered. And that's really good news for us. Why? Well, what's next Sunday? Pentecost when we're reminded that after Jesus ascended and was reunited with his heavenly Father, he sent his Spirit poured out on all believers, the Spirit who lives in us and gives us power to lead our Christian lives. Power to fight spiritual attack with spiritual authority, just as Paul overcame the Spirit that possessed the slave girl. He gives us power to act and react to the situations we find ourselves in Not as the rest of the world acts and reacts, but with radical love like that extended to the jailer and his household. And in doing so, he works through us, not just to change us, but to transform the lives of others to whom we come into contact with. So imagine as you settle down, this week ahead, as you settle down for the hour that you've committed to pray for, or you haven't yet committed, but you will on your way out, um, Imagine that when you do settle down to pray, think of Paul and Silas in prison. Not to feel sorry for them, but to be inspired by them. And pray that God would open doors as he did then. That he would give us opportunities to boldly share our faith. And then watch him do something remarkable through you and me. Next Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, I'm going to ask you to share any God encounters that you may have had during this week, any, perhaps God's showed, shown you something new, perhaps he's given you a word of knowledge for the church, whatever it is, in the time that you spend with God this week, be expectant. He might just answer your prayer with an earthquake. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you that when we pray, we meet with you, the risen Lord. Thank you that you, in prayer, you change us and you change situations. And we pray in the week ahead that you would be speaking to us, that you would fill us with your Spirit. that you would turn us into people who boldly share our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.